Hello, everyone. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why I waved. This is going to be audio only. <laughs> um, but this is the first discussion for uh, the Prince of Nothing trilogy. We are reading uh, an individual part in the book at a time, um, which, you know, the book is divided into parts. There are five in the first book, which is the darkness that comes before. Uh, today's discussion is going to cover the first part and the prologue, the first 130 pages in the trade paperback edition, if that's what you are reading from. Um, this recording will go up on uh, my channel, Reading by the Rainy Mountain, possibly my podcast, I <laughs> decide, and Steve's podcast. Uh, Pay chewing podcast. Uh, Steve's here with us. He can start us off with introductions. <laughs> oh, you're picking on me, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm really happy to be here. This is, this is actually my third time reading The Darkness oh, of Kendrick wow. 4. So it's, but I had just finished this, the, the series, I don't know, a few months ago. Mm -hmm. It's great to be back in the world, and I'm picking up a lot of stuff that I missed the first time. So I'm really happy to be here. And and you also get to tag the next person who introduces themselves. Okay. Uh, Mike, will you go next? Yeah, um, my name is Mike. I'm a member of the Page Chewing Forum, and just happy to be dis discussing with you. Um, uh, I like kind of some of the darker stuff. Uh, I'm 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 really stoked to 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 read this book, and it's been a great first part. Part one has been awesome. So, um, yeah, I'm just, I don't, I don't have any special, uh, I, I'm not a, I'm not a content creator, I should say, but, but, uh, again, just really, uh, happy to be talking with you. You are now Mike. Yeah. <laughs> I guess so. Wow. There you go. <laughs> um, and I'm Carl, uh, I am a self-published uh, fantasy author of Truth of Crowns. My first book just came out a few months ago and a member of the Page Chewing Forum. Uh, very happy to be part of this community and to be talking about this book series, which is my first read through, uh, but I'm very much enjoying it. Um, it's, it's definitely got me hooked. Yeah, there was something about it, wasn't that? I, I was expecting to, I don't know, beginnings of the book don't usually grab me that much. It's usually by the middle that I get really invested. But I was I was hooked for this one. Are we talking spoilers from right off the bat? Or are we doing a non-spoiler and then spoilers? What's what's the, the strategy here? I think we can do spoilers on this. Yeah, let, let's just do We can talk about anything. Uh, because I guess um, the idea is potentially people are reading along with us. So 130 pages is what we're discussing. So awesome. spoilers <laughs> all the way through. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, I definitely found, I, I did not expect to get hooked this quickly. Mm -hmm. um, one, because I'd been told that uh, this was a slower series and that book one in particular was a lot of setup. Mm -hmm. um, and beyond that, you know, it's not uncommon in epic fantasies, I feel like in particular that it takes, you know, 200 pages, you know, sometimes even more to really get going. Mm. But I had a reaction to this, like I did to reading Game of Thrones for the first time, where uh, a certain young character falls and I'm hooked. <laughs> and in this case, admittedly, slightly older than uh, Bran Stark. But um, I just like, especially that last chapter, I was like, oh my God, like, I cannot believe 
what we're in for, you know. I, I love the horror mm-hmm. elements, you know. It's so creepy. Like everything, the the bad guys, the consult, like they I just love how terrifying they are. Um and I think the the prologue really lends itself, you know, to that early on. Right. Yeah. I I what did you think, Mike? Oh yeah, no, I I I I have to say, I thought the prologue was, well, it's almost, it's like the prologue is in two parts because you have the 2000 years before bit, if I'm not mistaken. And then, and this, so that brings up a lot of like, okay, this is interesting, but what's going on. And then it, and then brings us into, uh, Kellis, uh, who for me, I was just like, this is, this is an interesting character I, that I haven't really come across before yet. And it, you know, he's got that these abilities to kind of, what is it? He can, he knows like everybody's movements. He, he, he knows kind of what, what is going to happen before it happens. And he goes up against, I guess, an, is it a non-man, non, non-man, mm-hmm. which was also, I mean, the guy is pretty, pretty badass. <laughs> is it cloak of like, what was that? Was it? Uh, human face or was it the, yeah, yeah, yeah. that was crazy. That was when, when he was describing, I was like, this is, this is the most metal shit I've ever read. Like I, I could not believe it. I, I loved it. I was like, okay, I'm here for it. Uh, that was the, definitely the moment in the prologue where they, they had me. Um, I thought like everything before that was like interesting, kind of slow moving. Kellis was definitely very intriguing. You know, he's almost like Sherlock Holmesian power of like deduction, like able to read people and interpret, you know, human psychology so well that uh, he can manipulate people and predict their actions and that sort of thing. Um, But the non-man with the, yeah, the the flesh and cloak was just, that was crazy. (laughs) I, I, there was some discussion on the forum in which you referred to him as the elf person, Carl. I was, I was, I feel like I missed something there. But is he? Did I miss a description that makes him seem elf-like? So for for me, the big, I mean, I'll admit, like generally, I think when I read fantasy series, I will often look or expect a, a degree of analogs. Like there's usually mm. a fair, a long-lived race. There's usually like a monstrous, mm. you know, often associated with bad guys <laughs> race. There's often like a short person race, you know. Um, it's true in Malazan, for example. Like I definitely think you could see the uh, Dungeons and Dragons influence with some of their races. Some of them are completely original. But uh, same thing here that I just felt like the um, non-men to me definitely read is like, really messed up elves mm. uh that you know the immortal like giving me the vibe i think they mentioned something about them being like the original or like the longest lived race or something like that um and then the oh i'm blinking on their name what what are the what are the big scary monsters that everyone runs away from the that are like shrink. the consults steve you're the expert what are they called the shrink yes they, they reminded me of uh orcs in a big mm. way, but orcs like if orcs were really actually scary, uh, <laughs> and um, that was I don't know that that was those were just the parallels I drew, and I don't know if that's you know actually accurate. We certainly haven't gotten that much of either of them, but mm. that's how I read them, I guess. Makes sense. Makes sense. 
Yeah, I, I haven't read enough fantasy to look for them. So <laughs> like that that feels like something I should have gone. Um, Steve, this is your reread. Uh, what? How did it feel coming back to this world? Third time, you said. So did you read the whole series twice over or this one? No, I read the first book once and then I came back and reread it. And then we read through the whole series with okay. uh, Daniel and Katarina. And so this is my third time with this book. And I just, if, if you all are liking so far, then you're going to enjoy the series because it's a lot more of everything you just talked about. Nice. And the prologue, there's things in the prologue, and I won't say what, but there's things in the prologue that you'll refer back to throughout the series. That mm. prologue is packed full of stuff. Um, but yeah, the, the cloak of faces was, uh, <laughs> was something, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. I wonder i i'm going to predict that probably not in book one but i suspect we will i mean not only see that non-man again but we may even find out what the deal is with that cloak i just feel like that's something that like there's got to be a crazy backstory <laughs> about um and i don't know how long it'll take to get there but i i do suspect a little for the first theory for the night you could say <laughs> uh sorry go ahead mike no, it was, uh, there was the one part that I highlighted um, where, right before the time jump um, where they sit, where it says uh, the world forgot them for 2000 years. And I think that's referring to the Dunyane. So um, that really intrigued me because it, that was just fascinating that this, I guess they're like a sect of monks or what have you that, um, they, they stay hidden for 2000 years. And so then for my question then is, okay, what's, what's bringing them, you know, maybe back into the fold. Um, I guess so far it's just Kellis, um, go venturing off, but we, we don't know much about that, but that, that part just really intrigued me and I, I highlighted mm -hmm. it. Yeah. That first section with the, the 2000 years ago is really dense a lot. Mm. happens i mean you get kind of these brief scenes of like you know the uh molestation and like then you know revenge of the young prince the young uh anasurimbor but there's also a lot of history and lots of references that i imagine like steve said uh when you look back you're like oh my god like that's there's so much <laughs> you know there's a whole history behind that one name or that one line um, and that, that definitely was something that was really intriguing and was difficult, you know, cause you're like, you're taking a lot of terms all at once. Um, and they're not really being explained, but was very intriguing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We, we talked a little bit, I'm not sure if you had jumped on yet, Carl, but I was mentioning that there's a lot of, uh, a lot of information and, and a, don't try not to be overwhelmed with it. Cause it does get explained. So don't feel like you have to know right now. Cause it'll, We'll come, it'll, we'll learn about them as we go. So about all these things. So try not to let that, um, try not to get caught up on those things too much. Cause it does, we, it does get explained as we go. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. I, that's the vibe I got. I, I definitely thought, I mean, I felt so far, I don't know about you all, but as I've gotten further into the book, even just in this first act, the actual act of reading it got easier. Like I became more familiar with the terms, particularly once we started to see like people representing the different factions and, you know, things like that. It definitely wasn't so, you know, I couldn't like just like skim read or anything like that. It's still pretty dense writing, but 
it wasn't nearly as difficult as the prologue and even chapter one was i found yeah i i agree it it did start to feel like a fairly easy read afterwards i i did have to skip past the words that i didn't know yet or didn't understand um, i did not use the glossary i didn't look things up there uh it felt easier to not slow my reading down that way but yeah just uh if i was okay with not knowing what something was I, it was it was a fairly easy read uh which i did not expect honestly because it, i think the se- series is of often compared to malazan which i i don't think it deserves the reputation it gets in terms of how difficult it is to read um but it it's not really similar though like i i did take a while to warm up to malazan so this this doesn't this doesn't feel quite like that um carl i know you mentioned the the ability of kellis is that his name to predict uh what people will do i i thought that was fascinating the uh, it seemed almost like he had a certain power there was talk of some probability and there's a lot of discussion of uh what comes before come no what came before predicts what comes after or something to that effect i'm forgetting but there was some really nice language around it that i uh tried to understand and then <laughs> gave up because i couldn't wrap my head around it i feel like we'll probably figure out what that means but before and after are important words in this world it seems like it was very interesting. Yeah, I mean I think it goes right back to the uh epigraph of the prologue, you know. If it is only after that we understand what has come before, then we understand nothing. Thus we shall define the soul as follows, that which precedes everything. And you know, even the title of the book, The Darkness That Comes Before, is mm-hmm. like, you know, it's it's interesting the philosophizing about these ideas being inherent and souls being inherent before uh, anything even comes of them before, you know, the decisions that are made that, you know, there's these, these tides, you could almost say. It reminds me of Dune in a big way. I mean, a lot, of, I, I, I'll admit I've read uh, a couple interviews um, with uh, Baker, the author, um, and he explicitly mentions Dune as a uh, source of inspiration and a favorite read of his. And I can definitely see it both in terms of the very uh political you know sandy uh atmospheric writing style he takes but also the focus on philosophy and these ideas of prescience and human behavior and um how one might even be prescient like what that actually means like what what does that physically look like for a person like how does that influence their personality um, you know, for Kellis, it's certainly like Paul Atreides, uh, without getting too, you know, into Dune spoilers, that certainly uh, you could say is a corruptive influence. And I definitely get the vibe that Kellis is not the most, well, we know it's not even a vibe. Like he, he does things that are not particularly moral <laughs> in the prologue. Uh, and yeah, I thought it was really interesting. Uh, very intriguing. Yeah. Uh, and I did wonder about that epigraph. It I thus we shall define the soul as follows that which precedes everything. Uh, does that mean that we understand nothing about the soul? Is that what's being implied there? And 
also, I guess, uh, somewhat related, <laughs> but not quite, uh, is the fact that Callis was able to predict what people do. Is that some sort of commentary on free will, uh, the existence or lack thereof? It, uh, yeah, uh, that was a very fascinating <laughs> prologue. Um, I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think everything you're saying is certainly that's sort of what I was thinking of when I was reading all of that. I'm curious, Steve, what your experience was beyond just like understanding a lot more of the story going into the prologue. Like emotionally, how did you find uh, the, the the story that's told in the prologue? I mean, it's almost like a short story, The the that initial Kellis moment and everything um what that experience was like for you for this third time i understood a lot more (laughs) and there was a lot of things that i did not catch that just the prologue alone that i have to be really careful there's reference there's things that are mentioned and that that come into play in really big ways later Hmm. um even the first little portion of it um, and then late, and then the the Callus portion. There's things that happen, like I said, in, in in that section too, that come back later. That I don't think there's any way to pick up on that unless you know what happens later. So you don't really. And there's just so much that's thrown at you that it's hard to keep up because you're trying to learn all these different terms and the world and the the shrink and the other factions and things that are being named and the the, the other names. So it's hard to keep up. But I, I just love being in this world, and there's a lot of philosophy in this, yeah. uh, in this, uh, series. Um, I guess I can't help but thinking that, uh, Baker is a, is a philosopher, right? Or he's a, he's got a PhD in philosophy. So I, I, I don't know if anybody went on his blog, but it goes into the depths of his studies. And I, I had to tap out after some, cause it's not, <laughs> Uh, just about his fiction or his right it's it's what he's um you know been i guess spending the rest of his time on um but i i, I keep thinking about yeah determinism right and mm-hmm. um as you mentioned varsha free will do we have free will if 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 this character um can kind of see um knows what's going to happen and can make sense of the chaos um, knows where, you know, where a, a leaf will fall in a storm. I think that's uh, in one of the passages, which by the way, the writing is um, very, very smooth in, in, in parts. I, some beautiful passages really. There's so many great lines in this, yeah. in, in this book, in this series, there's one uh, that I've written down. Um, our, our every thought stems from the thoughts of others. They're all it's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. It, it is it, it like the flow of it is just beautiful. It has a rhythm, but it also, you know, the, the philosophical ideas um, put forth are just so interesting. So ve- veering a bit, I'm curious going off of the idea I put forth earlier and I'm sure I'm not the first person to talk about this, of, you know, the elves and orcs parallels. I also felt like there was a lot of, like, flipping Lord of the Rings and Middle Earth on its head. Like, I don't know if anyone else noticed this or thought of this, but uh, the the Dunyain, um, is that the monks? 
that come through. Um, I mean, it sounds a lot like the Dúnedain, which is the term for, you know, the Westmen, like the people that Aragorn is from in Lord of the Rings. And the idea, I, I just feel like that cannot be uh, unintentional, particularly given that they're just like uh, seem to be other world building elements that are intentionally um, in conversation with Lord of the Rings, it seems like to me. And even the ideas of like um, heroism and, you know, morality and like being corrupted by sorcery, you know, you see explored through a more like religious lens, I would say, than Lord of the Rings does. Although ironically, certainly there's elements of uh, Tolkien's Catholicism, but you know, this book is clearly, I mean, it's about a holy war, like it's about religion. Um, and I just, I, I was curious if anyone else like felt similarly that there were like in very intentional Lord of the Rings parallels with both in the world building and maybe in some of the um, storytelling and if they noticed anything else that I haven't mentioned. I read Lord of the Rings a long time ago. I don't I don't remember enough <laughs> to make comparisons, but I I believe you, I guess is the best I can say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's I'm been curious, uh, twenty years for me. Sorry to inter interrupt. <laughs> oh no, no, go no, go go right ahead. Yeah. Um No, yeah, that's, no, it, that's great. I would not be surprised if we see is another theory, some sort of messed up uh, fellowship at some point and some sort of quest subversion. I mean, we already know Kellis is on a quest. Mm -hmm. Kellis has a location. You know, he's going to Mordor. In this case, Mordor is the Jerusalem stand-in uh, of Shime, yeah. um, right? Uh, he's seeking his father and he's seeking what the hell happened to his father and what's going on there, which I think is interesting and adds a, certainly a level of... Um, there, there's a personal aspect to the, this huge conflict, you know, that I really appreciate. And I definitely think made me more intrigued in Kellis as a character and certainly in his father, too, his mysterious father, Moingus. Moingus? How did you guys pronounce that? There's so many words that I like. I have no idea even where to begin. My eyes mostly just roll over <laughs> words. <laughs> so like the first time I did one of these discussions, I couldn't remember a single name that I had to talk about because I just roll over names and I don't actually pronounce them in my head. I've, I've tried to get better about it since then, but I, I, I'm still pretty garbage at remembering names. Uh, I think I it's Boingus, I think. Boingus, okay. Boingus, yeah. It's, so he actually as the pronunciation in the glossary, oh. which is, which is nice. Handy. Not that I know. I always how like, to read it, but. Yeah. I always like when authors do that. That's cool. Okay. <laughs> I'm, he has I'm a lot of great names too. <laughs> I just have to say like, he's a gift for coming up with names for the orders and the characters. And I, I mean, Anna Surinbor Kellis is like, that's, Oh, that's, I love it. I think that's just a fantastic fantasy name. Yeah, and I also spotted some what sounded very close to Hindi or Sanskrit words, uh, like the name of that uh, sorcerer. Uh, s s how do you say his name? Seshwata. 
it sounds a lot like the Sanskrit mm. word um, Shaswat, which is eternal. Mm. Um, and then cool. there's a word uh, J N A N I C. I that looks and sounds a lot like Nyanik, which well ik is uh, anglicized, but uh, anglicized, but Nyan is knowledge. Uh, I don't the context in which it, that word was used. I don't think it was quite knowledge, but also quite not quite wasn't. So I, I wasn't sure if he had. Uh, yeah, obviously he's probably p- picking from some. Maybe he'd made up his language. Maybe he's picking from some referential languages. But I wondered if Sanskrit was one of them. Hmm. That would make sense. Yeah, definitely. Sometimes when there's so many syllables, it is difficult to to spend a lot of time. I, I am also listening to the audiobook at the same time, so that helps a little bit. And uh, so I'm like doing what is that called? Uh, there's a there's a term for that. I can't think of it, but it's like for immersive reading or something. Um, yeah. But it does slow slow it down a little bit. Um, but uh, so I it, I have some pronunciations. I don't know if anybody's ever noticed. Sometimes you'll hear the author then pronounce it differently. So, yeah. yes, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Not to uh, not to backtrack too far, but uh, Carl, you mentioned the the Tolkien uh, comparisons, and I I didn't notice that the first time or the second time, <laughs> but I will say that um, keep your eyes up because it does it does uh, you'll notice a few more things. I am very intrigued by that and i again it almost feels like this like sort of weird messed up mixture of lord of the rings and dune but with like you know thrown into the crusades the first crusade which i don't know how familiar you all are with uh the first crusade historically but there's definitely like very clear parallels in the books that i thought was uh interesting i'm curious to see how much plays out um event-wise, like the history in question. Are you familiar with the First Crusades historically? It's Oh, yeah. It's one of my favorite eras in history. Oh. I mean, the Crusades in general, I think, are very interesting um, with a lot of very colorful characters. And I mean, it's got it all. Uh, I mean, it's like it's it's kind of messed up to say that about like some of the most horrific wars that have ever been fought. But I, I just think it's very fascinating and I think it certainly is ripe for a fantasy story to, you know, explore a lot of kind of the questions um, that the Crusades left us with uh, because there aren't a lot of easy answers of about, you know, I mean, we're still seeing the consequences of religious conflict and, you know, um, cycles of violence and uh, any, any number of things like that. And, I mean, I'm happy to, I, I don't know, again, like if, if any of y'all are familiar with it either, but like just to talk about that for a moment, um, if anyone is interested or yeah. also familiar or anything. I'm not too familiar, but yeah, I'd, I'd love to uh, hear about it. Well, there, uh, there's definitely some simplifying of events like the uh, Shriya calling the Holy War. Um, I mean, unless I'm, I could be misremembering. It's been a minute since I've studied the Crusades, but uh that that actually happens in france 
um, you know, when the, the equivalent of the Pope calling the first crusade and, you know, like go take back Jerusalem, that sort of thing. Uh, but there, there are also the definite parallels there with that announcement and kind of the buildup to it where like it almost seemed inevitable at that point. Um, and the idea that from the, you know, the Christian, the Frankish perspective that Islam was spreading further and further and they were concerned it was, you know, going to overtake Christendom. And likewise, you know, Islam said, you know, the, the Muslim world suddenly became afraid that, uh, reasonably that the Christians were going to invade and decided, you know, particularly because of the um, Eastern Roman Empire, um, that who, who had gradually, you know, they, they'd been uh, crumbling and you see it represented in the, uh, I, we haven't read them yet, um, but they do reference the emperor, um, do, 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 do. Is it the uh, da, da, da. the Nansur? Yeah, the Nansur Empire um, is definitely the stand-in for uh, the Eastern Roman Empire and uh, aka the Byzantine Empire. Uh, the Senian Empire definitely, which is like the the precursor to the Nansur Empire, is definitely Rome. Um, and so you had at the time. Uh, what is his name? Alexander Komenos, something like that, who was the uh, emperor of the Byzantine at, at that time, basically was like constantly begging. And I mean, this had been happening for generations for like Western Christendom to come and help the East and specifically the Byzantine Empire because it has just gradually been crumbling and um, getting devoured um, by uh, the Turks and um, different Muslim forces further east. And so finally, this coalesced with the uh, Catholic Church and uh, the, you know, the Byzantine Empire, a kind of a green behind closed doors to help each other out. Although they were all driven, of course, by their own political as well as, you know, religious convictions um, and ambitions. And it led to a crusade being called the First Crusade which we see reflected in chapter two slash three, I think, or, you know, three slash four. Um, and, you know, I am curious to see where all it goes from there. There are some very distinct events and characters that exist uh, historically. Um, some very like, like there are definitely lead figures you could say. Um, and there's actually, I mean, I, I'm one of the things I'm most curious about is one of the most fascinating little episodes of the First Crusade, in my opinion, is an aspect of it that's called uh, the People's Crusade or the Peasants' Crusade, where it's basically this like hermit um, who was very charismatic, who was like a priest, uh, got like riled up a whole bunch of like farmers and poor people, and they went um, east and they just started like sacking everything they came across including the people they were, you know, supposedly allies with, you know. Um, so it, all of Eastern Europe was, you know, just like terrified of these peasants who were going nuts. And it eventually they got to the Byzantium Empire and they started sacking it too. And they were supposed to be going there to help them. And it's just this like weird little thing where finally like the empire just had to shut them down. 
and uh, a whole bunch of like commoners got slaughtered. Uh, it's very bloody. Uh, a lot of people were punished for it, but it, it just kind of showed the feeling of the era that there was this extreme violence and, and this um, religious fervor that just like, drove people to just act completely madly and to just pursue uh, violence against anyone, even people who were just the slightest bit different for them. I mean, like Jews were killed in mass. I mean, that's, you know, common story in history. Um, but certainly in the, the people's crusade. And so I'm curious to see if there is a parallel storyline here in this first book. Um, because I don't know, it's a, I think it's a very colorful, interesting piece of history. Uh, I want to say the guy who led its name was like Peter the Hermit or something like that. I could be something the Hermit. Um, I'm sorry, I'm terrible with names. So if anyone hears me and is like, you're an idiot, this is blah, blah, blah. Like, uh, please forgive me. Um, but yeah, it's it's really interesting. And I'm, again, curious to see what sort of the lords who are, the, the aspect of the First Crusade that is like, was more official and more successful because the Christians ultimately retook Jerusalem and established their crusader states uh, was called the Prince's Crusade sort of colloquially in, in scholarship. And so I'm curious to see if there are parallel figures with uh, some of the very interesting princes and lords and knights who drove a lot of the action um, in what really was the main thrust of the first crusade. Hmm. I, I have the Wikipedia page for the crusades open and you're right. It's Peter the Hermit. So <laughs> no one will think oh, you're thank stupid. You. Okay. <laughs> That, uh, that's actually really excites me to know that I got that right. Um, cool. Yeah, I too had the Wikipedia page open. So. <laughs> <laughs> so. Steve was smiling mysteriously when uh, Carl was asking if there were parallels or uh, wondering if there were parallels. So maybe you're on to something there, Carl. <laughs> I don't know, maybe. <laughs> I definitely know the First Crusade influenced uh, the at least this first trilogy. So I'm curious to see what all comes of it. I mean, there there are some differences. Like there isn't, a, to my knowledge, an equivalent of the schools, like you know the magic schools that you see in the series, which makes you know it certainly throws things up in in, in the air a bit. Where it's like I don't really know where this is going to go. And I thought that was one of the most interesting pieces of the world building. It was like. Again, not to not to fall too deep into referencing Dune again, but like the Bene Gesserit, but like a whole bunch of Bene Gesserit and admittedly a patriarchal Bene Gesserit. <laughs> um, so I'm curious to see how all of that plays out because uh, I thought, yeah, the schools was fascinating and their politics and um, mm. yeah. Yeah. Mike, you were saying something earlier? Um. I, I'm not sure what I was going to say, but I have another idea just to build off what Carl was saying. Um, so I had written down the question. Um, so why are, why are there these, all these different uh, sorcery schools? They kept referring them as scholastics, which I, I found really interesting um, given that sorcery is outlawed under the, um, they call the Inrithi. Um, well, that's the religion, I guess. But um, that I, because I, I guess they're, I just, yeah, I'm not quite sure how they exist. 
Um, and and then we, we learn, I'm not, is it okay if I jump ahead a little bit? Yeah, go yeah. for it. Yeah, but we learn later that there was kind of the concern by, um, is it uh, Akamian um, and his, uh, I guess his, I forget the names of their of his, the other noble, high, I should say higher echelon within his. Um, the mandate. Within the mandate, thank you. Uh, they were concerned about, you know, are they going when the Mathanet, um, Mathianet uh, claims the holy war? Is it going to be against us, or is it going to be against um, that uh, the other religious group, the yeah. other religion, Phantom. the Phantom? Um, but um, so I, that was they, they're kind of, I guess, they're worried about you know them their their own existence. But then we learn later that. I guess um, was it the uh, the Scarlet Spires? Is it that mm-hmm. kind of teams yeah. up teams up with them? Um, which I found. I mean, it was kind of like there was almost like there was kind of mystery elements, or uh, you know, a little bit of gen- genre bending because you're, you're kind of like uh, it, it was a sense of Akami, and also it had he's looking into. He's essentially spying, right, on, on people, mm-hmm. and he has his, um, uh, you know, he ha- he has his 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 uh, his different informants that we learn about. One of whom uh, has a grisly demise. <laughs> Isn't his face like ripped off or something? Yeah, that took me aback because it happened so fast. He was like introduced. And then you're following him down a dark alley and then he's getting murdered and you're like, holy shit. Like, okay, like this is, wow, they're not, he's not wasting any time. Like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I really, I don't want to say enjoyed. That's the wrong word. Um, <laughs> the, uh, I like how Akamian kept wondering about, uh, whether he was bad, whether he was successful because he was a bad spy. I mean, he was the first time around. And then the second time when he convinces... Oh, God, I forget the name of the boy. Uh, Inrao? In, Inrao? The one who dies at the end? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah Inrao. Okay. Uh, Inrao, uh, his... When he wonders if it's because of pity that he... Uh, is giving him information now and there was a really nice line about whether he succeeded by failing again and that was yeah i i liked reading that and like i said enjoy is the wrong word but there's just some very interesting things to think about throughout this section Camion's an interesting character i really found not everything he does is the most morally upright, but he seems to be trying mm. and to care in a way that, like, particularly when you compare him to Kellis, for example, who, I mean, m- maybe my entire moral compass for the story up until this point has just been, like, the first person you've really spent time with was Kellis, who was, like, gave me sociopath vibes straight <laughs> off the bat. And I was like, I do not trust this guy as far as I can throw him. And apparently he's really big, so I can't throw him very far. <laughs> uh, and then you have, you know, a Kamian who's, like, 
seems to actually like care about people and is like an extreme cynic, but want, like wants the world to be a better place. And actually there are people like he loves dearly, whether it's like Inrao, who at first I thought that they maybe had, the way it was written, I kind of read it as like a, a weird pederasty thing at first, but then it seems like that's not what was going on because that's what the, uh, the what are they called? The, uh, there's some implication that the, oh my God, where are they? The, um, the fawning uh, wizards, the C, the Sharam, maybe, I mean, who knows? Maybe that's just propaganda or not, but there, there was some implication that older men and younger boys have relationships, if you can call them that. Um, and, but I, anyway, he clearly cared about Inrao. And then Esmanet, who he loves in his own, you know, sad, twisted way, and she him in her own sad, twisted way. I'm very curious to find out what happened with her daughter. Uh, it seems like she's dead or something. Um, and she definitely, Esmanet and Inrao were definitely the two characters I found most sympathetic. Mm. I don't know about y'all, but they like, like Inrao in particular, he just like, I mean, th this, the story repeatedly tells you this from the perspective of everyone, but like, he just seems like a really sweet person who genuinely cares. And he's almost like too naive, mm. you know? He, he genuinely believes like my Thanet is like cool and has the best intent of everyone in heart. Like presumably he's a true believer in their gods, but he clearly is not a very good person. Um, I mean, not least because he's declaring a, a holy war that's going to see, you know, thousands, if not millions of people dead. Um, but in round, like genuinely just like wants to help people. And I thought it was so fascinating. I mean, talking about that, the, um, oh, there's some line right before when he's getting killed by the, uh, the, demon dude and uh yeah and the the knights um who were like basically templars um where oh what is it you you worship torment or something they accuse him of oh my gosh uh i thought it was fast oh you worship suffering uh and in just things you know it didn't understand it didn't understand um, that, you know, it, it could not comprehend his faith, which I thought was really fascinating. And I'm, I'm, uh, would say I, am I'm, I'm not a believer in anything. I was raised Christian, but I thought it was really powerful. This, like, I don't know, th this young man who had such a loving, compassionate outlook on the world and who lived through his faith in that way. Um, and who just, you know, defied, uh, evil into his last breath in a really, really badass way. I did not expect him to go out like that, but he really, like, every time I thought it was over for him, he found a way to just, like, power through, even though he was doomed. Hmm. Well, that was uh, really uh, interesting because if I, maybe I misunderstood this, but he used, I thought, the skills that he learned from being in the mandate. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But then when he was saying you worship suffering, I thought he was referring to because he basically, you know, converted to this um, to the. Gosh, I'm not blanking on all these names. <laughs> the, 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 thousand, the Yeah, the thousand temples. Yeah. Help mm -hmm. us out here, Steve. Is that it? Yeah. Oh, my God. I had it all in my head, I swear. But I think it's a little bit late for me. But um, the. Uh, <laughs> 
yeah, I just I felt like he's very conflicted. But then, yeah, I didn't. I, one of the things I didn't understand was that what was the reason that he was sent off? That Akamian, um, I thought that Akamian helped facilitate him to to to, to go to the Thousand Temples. I don't think it, initially it was because they wanted him to be a spy. I, I thought there was something about him protecting him, but I didn't know why. I don't know if that was explained or I wondered if anybody caught that. I read that as he just didn't believe in the mandate's mission and did believe in the, the thousand gods um, mm-hmm. and wanted to go convert to in, in Rithism in, in Rithism. Um, and so they didn't, you know, yeah, that, uh, Akamian protected him okay. mm-hmm. and helped him escape. I think he just like genuinely was a true believer in this faith and decided that that was where his future lied, not with the mandates, which sorry, uh, rewinding a bit to what you were asking earlier, Mike, I'm also very intrigued by what is the history of these schools? Like we get some idea with the mandate, which we have been, you know, that's kind of our point of view where like they were established to combat or more than anything to wait for the consult. You know, they're like the night's watch for the white walkers in game of Thrones, right? Like they're here to like wait it out and defeat them and rally humanity together. Seemingly Um, good luck with that. (laughs) And, uh, but the other schools like don't have that mission. And so I'm very curious to see, I'm sure we will find out more as the series goes on what their history is and yeah, how they rose up and how they managed to, uh, establish themselves without getting wiped out, um, other than certainly their sheer firepower. Clearly, the, the mages are capable of quite a lot. The, um, just to add one more thing, that where I I had to go back a few times, um, and there's this is seems to be a theme because it comes up a lot. Um, so we I think we learn that in the mandate they are, they are. They are tied back to, I think, their founder from thousands, maybe thousands of years ago. So, this isn't Saswatha. I'm sorry yeah. if I'm getting it wrong. No, you got it. Okay. For a while there, I thought when I was reading one of the, it was, I forget, it might be in chapter two. Um, I, I thought that um, Akamian was uh, po- posing as him. I, I mean, I was totally obviously totally confused but then i I learned that that's like the strength of their of the mandate is that they i think through dreams they they relive what happened i guess during the first apocalypse if i'm not mistaken and that's but then they also seem to have this power of pulling people's hearts out (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, but but that that really struck me because it's what keeps them going. Otherwise, because waiting two thousand years or what have you for something for the consult um, is a hell of a long time. Um, I, I'm curious, you know, going off that, if it's all accurate. Like clearly, the consult is real, but the idea memories themselves, like even our own personal memories, are not reliable. <laughs> and so to think then that they're passed down across thousands of years across generations through dreams, which are also not reliable. I am very curious to see if there has been, I don't know, if they, if they are all true to history. That's one thing that uh, is just occurring to me as you're talking about this, that 
I don't know, for some reason I didn't think about, but I'm wondering if, you know, in the same way that you, you might say like religious text can be changed through translation and yeah. different organizations adding and cutting things from them, you know, if even these dreams are corruptible um, and if, or if they're supposed to be magically perfect, I don't know, maybe, maybe they are, but um, that'll be something I'm curious to see develop. Yeah. Even if even if the dreams are perfect, they're still subject to interpretation by the dreamer, right? Uh, so it, let's say initiates of the school have this true source of dreams. Uh, we're still reading Akamian's perspective or interpretation of what each dream means or how he feels about each one. So, yeah, I, I think that is a very interesting thing to explore. I also love or was very fascinated by the the sort of half-life that they're leading one they're not getting enough sleep which is terrifying to me uh you know, they're not really getting any rest during their sleeping time um and it it's like they're living a second life during their sleeping hours and it's a terrible one because it's all nightmares <laughs> uh, so and what must that do to the people who are put in charge of this, uh, I guess, preventing the apocalypse? Uh, and perhaps <laughs> that, to a certain extent, will drive the ex- the lengths to which they will go to do what they think is necessary. Which, yeah, I... Um, yeah, it feels a bit like <laughs> indoctrination. I, I guess it's a metaphor for indoctrination, but uh, a very interesting one. Yeah. Hmm. Absolutely. You're definitely right. It warps their, it has to warp their personalities, right? Especially over like decades and decades. Um, and they, they're definitely, I mean, there's a lot of this, it seems to be going around, but particularly the mandate seems to be kind of a school of the ends justify the means. Mm. And it's all about stopping the consult. And a commune while cynical, I think doesn't necessarily feel that that is always the case. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons I felt gravitated towards him because again, it feels like he has some gripes and you know, mm-hmm. he's a skeptic. I mean, he has these dreams, but even he's a skeptic of like, if the consult is actually coming back. And I think that's a, going back to what you were saying to Mike about in that like he has his doubts and he still can, touch the magic inside him, you know, he can still, however that works, the metaphysics, you know, he, he still has this aspect of him that is tied to the mandate. And I think thematically doubt and skepticism seems to be very important. The idea that like not falling into kind of fanatic belief and keeping an independent mind and keeping and and wondering and questioning, you know, what you're taught, regardless of the source Mm. question and refusing to just take it at its face value definitely seems to be something that this book is very concerned with. Yeah. Yeah, It just reminded me of a line that I had written down uh, on page 43. There was nothing the ignorant prized more than the ignorant of ignorance of others. (laughs) Yeah. That is a great line. There are a lot of great lines. Like you said, Steve, so So many, one thing I just want to throw out and highlight, um, because I could not stop thinking about it, is the tusk. <laughs> what the hell is that the tusk of? Yeah. Like, that's got to be the tusk of something crazy, right? 
like my, my okay here's my crazy guess is i think it maybe is a dragon's tusk mm. i just i just feel like i i my understanding i i could be wrong but my understanding is dragons come up at some point and so that's just my random wild guess but that has to be the tusk of something crazy right like i'm not alone in that yeah there were dragons in uh akamian's dream uh that he inherited right go. yeah that's uh, right yeah yeah that that makes sense it was yes. also interesting that sorry mike go ahead no, 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 no. Uh, I was just going to say, it's probably not a unicorn. It's probably not. Um, I was thinking it's probably not a narwhal, but it'd be hard to. Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. That would be so crazy is if it turns out to be a unicorn. Like I, I would laugh my ass off and also think that's like the, the best thing ever. <laughs> it's just this, the most like metal unicorn you've ever seen. And someone cut off its horn and made this religious instrument. Like that's, that's, I love that image now. <laughs> it, it has like, it's essentially like, um, it's the, their holy writing is on it. Right. Is that, yeah. what, is that what we're seeing throughout the book? There's all this kind it's, of, it's supposed to be like the original like Bible, basically, right? Like it's yeah, exactly. It's it's the original writing. Which again, question is like, has that been corrupted? You know, who knows who's written on that thing over the years? Like, um, so it certainly seems well protected, but you know, you never know. Um, I'm I'm very curious to see with what the histories, uh, the truth, I guess, in the stories that these people are told or they believe. I, I suspect there's going to be a lot of interesting reveals about that down the line. Mm. So yeah, the, it, it, it's, oh, I'm so sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Mike. No, no, go ahead, Mike. I was just, I was, so the, it's the Enrithi that view the tusk and they follow the, the latter prophet and the tusk is the scripture. Now, mm-hmm. does that mean that the other group is their, they're kind of a they're a, they're called an upstart faith, but it doesn't. Or, oh, they do have they they um, reject the tusk as unholy. It's hmm. fascinating. They my my understanding, and I I don't know if this is spelled out in the chapter or if I because I did read the appendix a bit. <clears throat> I mean, at least like the specific things that we've been referenced because uh, I didn't want to spoil anything. Um, is that the sort of theologically the differences between their faiths in a big way is like the tusks believes that the gods are all like multiple, like they're a multitude. Um, and the other, what are they? The Fanim, the, what's, what's their faith called? Um, yeah. Fanimri believes that the gods are all really aspects maybe of one deity. Mm. Um, and that it's all really about, yeah, I guess they have their own prophet. Um, it's interesting. And yeah, they draw the line there. I was very curious about uh, Inrao, the goddess he worships. I can't remember her name, but she was injured. The way she was described uh, was very, I don't know, mysterious, kind of kind of almost eerie. I'm quite curious. Yeah, and under the prologues, packed so much stuff in the prologue, but on the first page, it does mention a dragon. Oh, uh, no furnace, no furnace-hearted dragon had pulled down the mighty gates. Oh, that's right. So it does reference there a dragon? You go. Yeah. So, 
But yeah. there were definitely dragons in the dream too, because there was something about a dragon holding still while some bad things happen on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we're going to see some, I mean, already with the magic we've seen done and how violent it is. I mean, one of the bad guys was wearing skin, right? He was disguised and like, clearly like that was crazy too. <laughs> um, a lot of weird flesh magic going on and yeah. weird stuff with flesh, which I'm, I'm here for. The body horror is fun, particularly <laughs> in a fantasy novel where you don't necessarily expect that. Um, <laughs> But that, like, I can imagine when used properly on a battlefield, like, it's going to get messed up. Mm. Like, really, you know, limbs flying everywhere, I'm sure. Like, heads exploding, like, crap like that. I imagine it's going to get pretty crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I thought the descriptions of the, uh, where the, the dude with the name starting with M, what's his Uh, yeah that guy when he came to make the announcement of who he's declaring the holy war on the scene leading up to that i thought was absolutely brilliant the teeming masses and akamians stuck in the crowd there people fainting and being lifted out of the crowd because of that and everybody just waiting desperately for a holy announcement i thought i thought that was brilliantly done um yeah, it, I was confused about two things, uh, very unrelated. I'll start with the first one. The prophet, did did the dude say something about, I thought he said something that meant that they thought the prophet was a fake, but then they also believe in someone called the latter prophet, right? Or, there are multiple prophets. Okay. <laughs> That's the thing, yeah. Uh, there's, I, I'm a little confused on some of the terminology because the latter prophet sounds like it would be the latest prophet. But my understanding is the Fanim prophet came even later. Like if you look at this in like real, what helped me think of it was like, again, this is the first crusade, right? So like the Enrithi are the Christians and the Fanim are the Muslims. And so there's some parallels there. I mean, I don't think their beliefs line up exactly. And certainly, mm-hmm. I mean, the Enrithi are like polytheistic for starters, mm-hmm. but um, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't understand fully how all of that works exactly in the timeline there, but there are multiple prophets is my understanding. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I was pretty sure that he had uh, decried <laughs> a prophet and then they were going on about the latter prophet. I, I was confused by that. Um, I don't, the other thing was uh, the no sticks. I may have missed it, but do we know what knowledge it is that um, the no sticks have and why it is so dangerous to let someone off the mandate be free with that knowledge? I can't remember whether we read that or if it's, uh, or maybe I'm mispronouncing the word. You all look confused. G N O S T I C S. That's the word I mean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Do we do we know what it is and why it's dangerous for uh, Indra to have left with that knowledge, or why the order thinks it is? No. Um, my I, my understanding, I, I think they use the word gnosis starting with a g um if i'm not mistaken 
but you can, I mean, that, that's a, that's a word. That's, that's mm-hmm. an English word. Um, it means knowledge of mm-hmm. spiritual mysteries, but in, in, I think in, in this book, um, I thought that refers to their, their ability to, to see that what happened in the past. I thought that that's what, mm-hmm. I thought that's that what, um, uh, that's that skill that they have in the mandate. Sorry, I should have said the mandate earlier. Um, uh, but could be, I could be wrong. No, I, I definitely think you're right. I mean, I think that that must play a role. I, I do think on some, uh, I mean, part of my interpretation was just that it's about they're worried of like, you know, their, their secret bases or their spies or any number of like the intel they have, I guess, getting out. But it, you, you, you're right, Varsha, that I definitely feel like there's a magical element to mm. it or, so, or something, you know, some deeper secrets that they were worried he would give out away. Mm. And I, I, I certainly don't think we've seen it all like explained. Um, okay. Okay. Because it can't be just uh, Seishwata's dreams because uh, Indra doesn't have those dreams, right? He left before right. he was made to start dreaming uh at least that's what i thought um no that's right yeah yeah it, it, this is a this is a related point i i really enjoyed the chapter um it's a scene in maybe chapter three i'm not sure i think it's around page 70 we this is where we get the pov of those those two more senior mandate schoolmen Mm-hmm. I actually wrote down the, the names here, Notzera and Simus. I think initially when they're introduced to us, we're like, oh, this guy's this guy's kind of a jerk and really hard on Akamian. And then the other, and then that's, I believe, the guy whose name starts with N. And then the other individual, uh, Simus, was, um, he was like, oh, he's more laid back, like, you know, um, a little bit maybe more accommodating. But then when we get their POV and it's just the two of them talking and the, and I, and the, so the, the more sympathetic character we learn, he's more like, um, I think he, 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 he made some point about how, oh, we can really use, um, we can use, um, what's the shoot. What's the young man's name? Uh, Rao. Indo. Yeah. We can, it was like showing that he was really um, scheming and, and less, and then to me less sympathetic. But I really like that chapter, and I like how I don't know if we want to talk about it a lot, but I I, I noticed that there we do get to see many POVs. Mm-hmm. Um, as, and, and I saw you uh, you mentioned um, Carl. You mentioned uh, um, a song of ice and fire before, and you know this is at least mixing around the POV is quite a bit more within multiple within a chapter. And I, in some ways I kind of like that um, style. Um, although I am a, I am a huge fan uh, of uh, uh, Song of Ice and Fire, but um, yeah, I just, I, I, yeah, it's just something that I, that I appreciated in, in the writing. It's, like outright like a omniscient perspective even i mean i think there are times where we get into a more third person limited but like yeah they they head hop and there certainly are like whole scenes that are just written like oh the crowds do this thing you know like it's not talking about like someone's perspective other than like a bird's eye view and i agree i thought it was really interesting and really well done it's sometimes hard uh to do 
you know, omniscient perspective and not make it feel really cold and impersonal. But I actually felt like quite a bit of emotion, even if there certainly was a lot of darkness <laughs> around that emotion um, w- with these characters. Mm-hmm. And while we're while we're briefly talking about the mandate, I, I just want to hire to the Gnostic, like you said, Mike, you know, it's a real word. And, you know, the idea of Gnosticism in general is this, you know, religious philosophical movement that goes back thousands of years. Uh, about um, like to the early like Christian cults and, and things like that about, and I think even maybe further back to like Jewish cults that the God that is worshiped is actually like evil. And that like, there's another God who's like out there and you have to like defeat the evil God that everyone think that like created the material universe. And I'm very curious, like that seems like a really intentional choice uh, to me that like there's going to be some sort of and we've already heard about a no god i'm very curious to see you know i mean they oppose him so again mm-hmm. like i feel like there's definitely some clear like gnosticism influence going in here i think again this uh baker being a philosophy major uh philosophy phd you know i think there's going to be some interesting avenues explored there and i'm curious to see how much is uh Maybe look out for the word demiurge. That's a big word in Gnosticism, um, kind of the Satan figure. Um, so, mm-hmm. I'm, yeah, I'm curious. Uh, the false god, I guess you could say, the no god, if you will. Uh, very curious to see, yeah, how all that plays out. Um, Steve, I'm curious, too, what your, how do you feel about, like, the characters knowing their journeys? Like, what's it like going back and seeing them at the beginning here and when they're, you know, they haven't, I imagine, gone on their big arcs yet. You know, they haven't changed as much as they will. They haven't done all the things they're going to do and had things done to them. Like, what was that like for you? Well, I have to be careful because <laughs> I don't want to say too much. But, but I, I, I will say that the characters I liked in the beginning that that have a have an arc that lasts a while, the characters I, I liked and I disliked it pretty much consistent all the way through like a commune is one of my least favorite characters i appreciate him but he really irritates me <laughs> um, so i think he's really bad at his job he just seems like he's yeah. not good at what he does and i guess there's some there's some charm in that i guess we can all relate to that kind of like i think i think uh, if, if i had to say if i was like any character i'd be like him because that would be me like you know because we're all kind of you know we're all trying to do the right thing but we all somehow fail at everything we do <laughs> So I'm probably the most like him, but he, maybe that's why I dislike him so much. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I think I think uh, I think I stayed pretty consistent with the characters I liked. Um, but there were a few um, that, uh, like, I think Carl, you mentioned Espinet is another character that I, I I enjoyed throughout the whole through her her uh, her arc. Um, so yeah, I think it's pretty consistent from the very beginning. I think I latched on to the ones I latched on. I thought they were all interesting, but I think the ones that I liked and the ones that I rooted against were stayed pretty consistent. That's really interesting because that's not always true with series. I'm, I'm very curious to see this play out. So would you say of the characters that have been introduced, Esmanet was your favorite or the one at least that you personally liked the most? Or who, if you had to name a character, who would you say is your favorite? If I had to name, yeah, Espinette was my favorite, probably one of my favorite characters. Yeah, she was up there for sure. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I have to be really careful, but <laughs> I, I enjoyed her throughout her her time in the series. Cool. There was something, though, that 
uh, this isn't a spoiler past part one, but there was something in at the end of chapter three with Mathanet that I wondered if, if you guys uh, had caught. Um, there's something that, that he mentions at the end of chapter three that um, didn't know if you guys, it's the last paragraph or so in chapter three. Who was that well, man? That sorcerer? Mm -hmm. Is that what? Sorry. He saw a Camian, didn't he? I mean, he noticed a Camian. I didn't know what the hell was going on there, but like he he clearly like picked a Camian out of the crowd. Oh, because he's he's one of them. Uh, yeah, I remember they mentioned a Camian says that. Um, mm -hmm. Where he's like, that's the only reason he would be able to pick him out of the crowd was because the sorcerers can identify each other. Yeah. I totally forgot about that until you just yeah. mentioned that. Yeah, that's right. They're, yeah, the few can see the few. The yeah. few, exactly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, very intriguing. Yeah. It is. It is very intriguing. Uh, I kind of want to guess. I'm probably a off the mark with this, but I want to guess that this. Why can't I say his name? Me, me. Mithinet. Mithinet. Um, that is is he callous? Um, yeah. Did he ca oh, I, didn't, I hadn't even considered that. That's interesting. Mm. Um, I mean, I guess different? it depends the timeline. Yeah. Yeah. What's What's the timeline? I, I didn't really track so, the years, to be honest. Uh, the second prologue happened in uh, about a year, or at least the year before, in numbers than where we started in the first chapter. So f this was four hundred and four thousand one hundred and ten, I think. And the Kellis chapter was 4,109, yeah. if I remember correctly. Interesting. And, I mean, he is a new, I mean, presumably, I don't know, he would have had to, like, replace the guy, right? But I, I guess we don't know what he, all he's capable of. I mean, that's an mm -hmm. interesting theory. I, I hadn't even thought about that. So he, so this Mathanet, uh came out of nowhere and took over and did a lot of things that people didn't expect to expect him to and Calhus had some strange powers to read and understand people so I, I think it was at that point Steve I wondered if uh, this guy was Calhus and also the fixation on what's the name of the city they're going after Shimei mm -hmm. Shimei um that's where he was going to find his father. Um, maybe he already found his father and something bad happened and now he wants to wage war there. <laughs> or this is still part of the mission to find his father. That That's my guess at this point about what's going on. That's really interesting. Well, other other just like idea that I, I have no investment in, but just occurred to me as you were saying that, what if that is his father? What if Mythanet's his father? Mm. You know, both start with M. Not not exactly a strong foundation for theory, <laughs> but you know, I don't know. We're throwing stuff out there. Um, I yeah, I have no idea. That's really interesting. I didn't even yeah. consider that, Barsha. Oh, also, uh, I guess the other, I say clue, but I, <laughs> I guess uh, all all of these I'm taking as hints that it might be Kellis, maybe. But the fact that that's not his actual name; it was a name that he took, right? So mm. it's someone he he has a history and is possibly someone we met, uh, maybe, but. Or I guess the other theory is that he's one of the consult. That's the easy uh, guess, perhaps. 
It does seem like they're separate though. Like like he's separate from the console. Like mm-hmm. he, he's clearly bad vibes, but like, <laughs> you know, he, I don't know. Like he's not teaming up with the, I feel like we would have seen him and not the Knight Templar guy mm. if he was teaming up with the weird, creepy crow creature who, oh, <laughs> so I love it. I, I love the way that, like monsters are described <laughs> in this. Like just, oh, Baker is a real way with words. Uh, I think the, the crow, it's the crow with a with a, a head the size of a baby fist or something like that, but perfect perfect teeth. I just read it uh, recently. That was that was crazy. Yeah. So ugh, I love it. It's, and so that that was a representative. That was a a consult character, right? Yeah. But we don't know much. Yeah, about one of the. They know the agonies, which who knows what that means, some sort of evil magic or something. And uh, yeah, he's like one of the, I don't know, he's really old. I remember getting that from what he briefly said. He did the classic, you know, villain thing of being like, I am so old and powerful and you cannot stand before me, you know, like, which, which I don't get me wrong. I'm here for. I love, you know, a little chewing the scenery, um, but he definitely had a bit of that going on. Hmm. I'm curious, who are who are y'all's favorite characters right now? Or if you had to name one, if you had to name one favorite character, putting you on the spot, who's your favorite at this point in the book? I think I really lashed on to Esmeralda. Um, and it's for a strange reason. Uh, I think her sorrow with uh, her daughter is really compelling. Like, I feel, I feel really sad for her, this a melancholy about her that I I don't know how to pick words I, would, I was going to say that I like but it's not something I like but it's just something I appreciate I feel like it's really well done yep. mm-hmm. I don't think that's strange at all I mean it's certainly some of the more moving like personal mm-hmm. writing in the in these opening chapters what about you Mike um, yeah well it's not the crow with a baby face <laughs> <laughs> Although really, like we said, really fascinating character. Um, I, I really, I really did like Kellis. I'm curious um, what's going to happen with with him. And I, I didn't see him as like a bad guy. I didn't. I see him as um, he doesn't see good or bad. He, I, I see him as you know this very, uh, for lack of a better word, Zen individual oh. that does what he is whatever nature whatever you know physics etc whatever has has come before tells him what to do um kind of thing you know like a kind of a very but i just find that i have not come across many characters like that so i'm really interested to see what happens he definitely is really interesting i mean just in terms of like the basic idea of the character i found him the most intriguing uh, for similar reasons to you, Mike, I did the, the thing that made me like that made my skin prickle, you know, reading him was he just didn't seem to like feel bad about like leaving the guy to die, the trapper and, mm. you know, things like that. Like it's stuff like that where I'm like, yeah. OK, this dude's got a really skewed view of things, you know, mm. like I, I do think he's going to do a lot of good things, but I also think he's going to do a lot of terrible things. I very much feel like he's going to be one of those characters who. Uh, straddles you know the gray like I don't think he's going to go around and like 
sexually assault someone i mean maybe he will who knows but like but i do see could easily see him manipulating i mean if he's made the net like i could totally see that right like manipulating a holy war just to like mess up mm. his dad or something like, who knows you know he like feels like the type of character who would like not feel bad about getting thousands if not millions of people killed um for whatever goal you know he feels like he has but that that's just how i read it um my favorite definitely was in Again, I don't know what it, I think. I think it's because so many of the characters exist in this very like, again, like gray moral space in this series. And like Inrao to me seemed like he was like a genuinely good person. Like he's dealing with very complex ethical and moral decisions. But to me, he seemed like he was genuinely a good person in a way that maybe Esmanet is too. I don't know. We haven't seen enough of like, we haven't really seen her make decisions yet. Right. other mm. than like to be a prostitute or not to be a prostitute and she's kind of has like it seems like she has not much of a choice there so you know um I, I i like her too i mean certainly i'm with you varsha that like her daughter's story like that made me feel kind of sad for her and and the way she loved akamian but in a way yeah. that like again very twisted and like to me, it definitely seems like they're both projecting a lot of their own issues onto the other person. Mm -hmm. And like, she like worships Akamian in a way that does not feel healthy at all. Yeah. Like, I, I, and again, and he seems to have weird issues with women <laughs> and his self image. So I, they, they, I, I mean, I enjoy it. I enjoy their interaction, but I'm also like, I don't want you to be romantically involved at all because you guys are so unhealthy. <laughs> it, it also doesn't feel, and you know her worship of Akamian. I think everything we've yeah. seen of him so far. Um, yeah, he's he's a powerful sorcerer. He has that going for him. But other than that, he doesn't feel like. But I don't want to say he's undeserving of affection, but not the kind of pedestal that she's put him on. It that feels unnecessary. <laughs> but Absolutely. yeah, I love the what was it two page long musing of. Um, how she loved him and how she thought about him and uh this was funny i i think in the middle of that she turns to him and says is uh what are you finding difficult and i had to turn two pages back <laughs> to realize she was following up on a conversation because akimian said i'm beginning to find this difficult or something like that and then there's two pages of te text before she addresses what he said. I thought that was really cool. There's a little bit of stream of consciousness going on there, I guess. Um, yeah. There definitely are aspects of the writing sometimes like that where it, to me, honestly, in a similar way to Malazan, but not as extreme, mm. where I'm like, this is this is needlessly obtuse or needlessly, where you're like, yeah, you're jumping. I mean, it... It is cool, but it, I did have my moments where I was like, why Why is this, like, you could have just, like, <laughs> you know, rejiggered things a bit or, like, you know, just, just like, given a brief explanation of what something was. Not, again, as extreme as Malazan, which I love Malazan. Now, that's not to, like, <laughs> talk bad about Malazan. It's one of my favorite stories ever, just period. But um, it does have its moments where it's, like, it feels like we're hopping around just, like, ex like saying what something is or, like, what a character is, is doing. You know, um, certainly I'm, I, which isn't to like undercut the subtext because there's a lot of subtext and I really enjoy that, that they don't, you know, Baker doesn't hold your hand. Mm -hmm. Um, they're just like, like he like trusts the reader to like pick up on things. And I like that. Um, 
I think sometimes maybe he goes a little too far, but not not usually. Again, I think generally his prose is really um, wonderful and and dense in a good way. Um, yeah, I I really found myself uh, attracted, not like in a I don't I, intrigued by and emotionally uh, absorbed by Akamian and Esmanet's relationship. Like again, it's just it's so messy, <laughs> and they so like I I kept thinking of that. Like, have you guys seen the meme? Uh, um, a, a guy and a gal in bed and the gal is like, I bet he's thinking about other women. And then it's always some other like stupid thought that the guy is thinking about. And I just felt like that was both of them with each other mm-hmm. where like, they're both like, you could put input either of them <laughs> where they're, I feel like they both have moments where like, this person doesn't really care about, or this person's thinking about how like boring or whatever I am or dumb I am, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that just was so, I don't know, it's interesting because it felt very real but was also like very, you know, unhealthy. <laughs> what, one of the things that I, I did appreciate with their relationship is he lets her in on what's going on because he's yeah. connected and he's doing all these, you know, uh, really uh, kind of uh, interesting spying and, and what have you. Um, and I think that that shows that he's, he's, he sees her, you know, as, as I don't know, know if he sees her as an equal, but um, he, he respects her. And, and then, she, and then we see her kind of chiming in, in the conversations. Um, uh, is it when Inrao comes and knocks on the door? So I, I, I thought that showed yeah. the trust that they have in the relationship. Um, Absolutely. I, I caught something, but maybe it was nothing. But I, I think in that that part of whether it's chapter chapter three or chapter four, there is um, imagery. Um, there's she has the tattoo of a serpent, and a serpent comes up actually quite a lot. And then I think she talks about eating an apple. So yep, I noticed that too. Adam yeah, no, totally. Genesis references her daughter specifically that comes up in the story with her daughter is her daughter was like asking like wanted an apple and mm-hmm. then the guy like the, sh- the shopkeep is like sees her and is like oh she's a prostitute yeah you know and kind of gives her a look and she's like all right like honey let's move along mm-hmm. uh, there definitely was no i i'm right there with you there's definitely big christian genesis mm-hmm. symbolism going on there yeah the that scene ended with her thinking to herself that she should have bought an apple elsewhere that made me wonder if that's what happened to her daughter something to do with apples um but then it was also a pretty flippant thought uh so maybe not like it didn't have the gravitas to it that it would have had if it if that's what had caused her daughter's death or whatever else happened to her yeah do you guys think she's alive or something else happened I, I don't know. I was convinced she was. Yeah, dead, but... you, you know. Steve <laughs> doesn't know. It's interesting. I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> but she was dead. In my head, she was she was gone. But hmm. I I think the first time she came up, I thought um, I was sure she was dead. Let me see if I can find that page, because it's when Akamian's talking to her about something, and then like two seconds later, she's talking about her daughter. And Akamian has a resentful thought about how that, how this subject quickly shifted to her. 
And oh, yeah. uh, my daughter, uh, he mentioned something about six years ago and she said my daughter died six years ago. Yeah. Okay. So she is dead. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I, I think this, sorry, I'm changing the subject. Does anyone have anything else to add to that? Okay. Uh, we talked about this very briefly, but I was unsure about the nature of the relationship between Akamian and Indrao because there, there were a lot of confusing statements there. And I don't even know if it's important, honestly, because everyone's just casually saying some. Uh, so Akam, the way Akamian was thinking about Indrao, it was as if they had a sexual relationship in the past. But then when we meet Indrao, he thinks of Akamian as a father figure. And I don't think that, so I think in this world, <laughs> the relationship between an older man and a much younger boy is wrong because in the prologue, uh, the priest person who's, um, yeah, the, the Dunyan who come in and there's a priest or someone who uh, Dunyan, assaults yeah. the prince and yeah, it's like the like, chancellor isn't it? yeah the chancellor yeah the bard caught the boy yeah and he says forgive me he muttered over and over uh but tears fell only from his blind eye um that so this is wrong right like he's asking for forgiveness so it's not like you know this is some sort of acceptable relationship in the world so i was very confused by the nature of their relationship. We got different signals from everyone, I thought. And Akamian uh, keeps talking about students that he loved, which feels shady, but also it could just be a very innocent sort of affection for his students. Uh, what what do you guys think? I, 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 I say would... I... Or go ahead, Mike. No, no, no I, I was just going to say, I, I kind of caught a hint of some something strange going on with their relationship or I mean just the fact that they were that they were probably minors when he was having these relationships mm -hmm. with or they were students and I assume they were minors so um, yeah but I, it wasn't very it wasn't very clear and mm -hmm. I think there is a part where Inrao says yeah, like you, uh, I forgot who said it. They was like a father or an uncle, mm -hmm. or it's it's late, in, 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 I think in chapter four. But um, yeah, I got some hints at that. It's a good, it's mm -hmm. a good point. I so I definitely initially read it as like a weird, creepy, pederasty relationship. Like Inra was definitely like a child when he came in mm -hmm. and was first with. Akamian. But then, uh, and, and yeah, the way Akamian thinks about him is weird. Like mm -hmm. it's not, it doesn't really read as like the way a father thinks about a son or even a teacher thinks about a student. You know, there's, there is like this weird, almost, I, I don't know. He's put on a pedestal too, in a way that feels mm -hmm. strange. Um, but then Akamian like pretty explicitly references the other school um having men and younger boys having relationships um there's there's like an explicit reference to that which again that could just be you know gossip um i do know that that was uh practiced in 
some courts at the time. Um, so I don't know if that's, you know, like there was a lot of, um, like, obviously you go back, like a lot of people think of the Greeks, but, and then I know the Romans then took after them. And then, uh, they were Arabic courts who, uh, took after, I think inspired by the Greeks too. Um, pederasty has been a thing for a long time, uh, in a disturbing way. Um, but, uh, so that made me think that it wasn't, but like, yeah, I'm right there with you, with you, Varsha, at like, it's weird the way he thinks about Inrao. Mm. And I didn't actually get the vibe that Inrao, like Inrao clearly cares about him, but yeah. it certainly doesn't seem like there's the same level of affection or, or it's not certainly felt in the same way. Like the way Inrao feels about Akamian is definitely very different than the way Akamian feels about Inrao. Mm. And that was certainly the thing that gave me the ickiest yeah. like feeling initially about it came in where I was like, is this dude like sleeping with all his students? Like his like child students. Mm. Um, but I, I think it's just, a, I mean, maybe it's intentional. I don't know, yeah. but uh, I don't think they had a physical relationship again, just because the way I came in talks about the um, other school and, mm. and their practices. Yeah. Yeah. It, I, I almost wondered if the author wants us to think that, and then tell us later that it's actually not that uh, because we meet another student of his right the prince of some place or the other yeah who also he thinks of as one of the students that he loved which yeah it feels for a strange word for a teacher to use with regard to their students um new topic unless anyone has anything else to say uh did the meeting between Indrao and Akamian happened in a dream because it felt like the beginning of a dream sequence and then it wasn't. They were actually in the tavern. So I was confused by that. Um, and, and I don't think it was... It felt like the, it was in the real world within two paragraphs. But then the way it started, it felt very clearly like a dream. I will just I'll just jump in here and say I uh, I don't I, it's it's certainly possible I, I felt like there's a lot of dream references here but I'd have to go back and find where you mean you mean like when they first um, interacted yeah uh, yeah yeah first time when the knight comes over and hurts a Kamian. yeah which he has a real injury after that right and mm. or I'm not sure. Well, you're, uh, is this, it starts the section in his dream. So he definitely at least starts with the dream. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I don't remember. I'm just glancing through this. Um, yeah. And then um, when we get to the part where. Oh, I think he wakes yeah. up. Yeah. I think he wakes up between. Um, flakes of sun in his eyes and then a came in and then the impossible mutter trailed into the rumble page. Like, that's weird. Like he wakes up in the middle of this tavern. Mm. I don't know. I don't know what's <laughs> going on there. That's weird. You're right to highlight it. Yeah. Light spilling from his mouth. Yeah. I felt like he was being pulled into that room somehow. Like maybe, um, maybe a, a commune was doing some sort of sorcery to get him there, but, 
would he, um yeah do we know yet whether they can freely use magic or do sorcery without being detected and punished for it or can they do it discreetly enough that they won't be caught we don't know right well we know the the few can see the few but beyond mm -hmm. that I, yeah. I don't know that it we also know that uh regular people don't see their sorcery until like they see the effects mm -hmm. so beyond, i don't think they can be i mean i think that maybe it's possible that like one of the other magic users could sense them, but I, I don't know actually if that's been explicitly said or not. Okay, okay, makes sense. Yeah, I was wondering if he would use sorcery in a public setting like a tavern to pull in Rowan to where he is somehow and make it feel like a dream. But yeah, I thought that was interesting. There is some skill that he, uh, I couldn't find it um, referenced, but it's another ability that the that they have in the mandate, but I I, I couldn't find it. It's it, it, I thought it started with a C, but um, it's different from the gnosis, or it's it's something else. And I thought it was some way of manipulating people, which I think would be, um, you know, could could be done out in the open. But mm. I, I think it's referenced, but it, it comes up um, a couple times. Um, so so yeah. You mean the the logos? Mm. Is that what you think, Mike? There's the that shook. was referenced at least once. Um, mm -hmm. There was another the, word I was thinking of. Crap. Mm. The Sharam or the Kisharam is the like the uh, phoneme sorcerers. That's a C word. I don't know if that's. It's, um, well, it's just to say it's just uh, evidence that this is extremely rich. So, um, <laughs> I, I, oh, I found it. It's the cants, C A N T S. Oh. Um, oh, I thought that was just how they do the magic. No, um, I didn't get the impression that it was uh, local to just the mandates. Okay. Was, uh, I. Let me see. That's the cans of compulsion. Yeah. Uh, you know, another a song of ice and fire thing. Uh, while you guys are mm -hmm. maybe or maybe not looking it up, um, I ju it just occurred to me that the north is where the bad guys are coming from. Mm. The, that it seems like they're slowly moving south. Um, so I, again, I don't know if these are intentional parallels or not i mean all, all the again i'm i'm convinced of the lord of the rings and uh dune stuff but the song of ice and fire I, i'm not sure about this was 2005 right and the first song of ice and fire was the 90s yeah it, it definitely came out yeah well before this okay. um but yeah i don't know if it's as prominent an influence or not. So mm -hmm. I only or, read, or if that is was an intentional parallel. I only read the first two books uh, in, of Dune. Did you read like the whole six and then into the the sons? I've I've only read the first four. First four. Uh, I'm going to read the last two by Frank Herbert at some point, but yeah. I, I haven't gotten to them yet. Um, definitely, the influence I see is primarily just from the first like couple books. Okay. Really, maybe 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 the third. Um, yeah. I didn't get into the third yet, but. Um... I actually read this. I read uh, Dune Messiah because I heard that 
there was some influence for for this series. Oh, um, yeah. well, I, I mean, I'd already read Dune like two years ago, and then I, I, I was like, hmm, maybe, um, maybe it'd be interesting to make some comparisons. Hmm. I've got to read Dune. Um, I read all the Frank Herbert books a few years ago. <laughs> But I feel like at the time I read them to find out what happens and like I didn't read it for the themes. I I did appreciate all the stuff around religion and but yeah. I'm definitely getting big Paul Atreides vibes from Kellis. Like mm-hmm. I definitely see him becoming a similar sort of corrupted or or I don't know, just manipulator you know, Messiah type, like using his abilities to, I mean, cause we've seen him do it on a small scale mm. and theoretically, I mean, this is just my writer brain working, but like your prologue is supposed to in some way foretell, you know, what the rest of the story is going to be about. And so if this guy is manipulating people to battle the big monsters, I could easily see him doing that on a much larger scale. You know, I mean, again, that goes back to the kind of the Mythonet thing. If, if that's him, um, or I could see him doing something similar, being like, you know, an, another faction coming in and uh, messing up all the plans of all the religious people. So I have a, I mean, I, it's more of a question than a theory, but I, I'm, I'm thinking that maybe in part two or maybe who knows in the end of the book or the next book, um, that at some point Kellis um, is going to, fight on the on the other side of this holy war mm. this is what i'm guessing i've not read ahead or anything um but because obviously everything is converging on that that town shime shime um with with there that's that's where um you know they're they're the the temples and and now they're they're working with the other um source the other school um, of sorcery to 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 wage their well they're just really in the early stages to wage the holy war but i do see now you know we know that kellis is going is seeking his father who is apparently there right he's that's what i understood so there's going to be some convergence um but it's, again it's more of a question maybe than a, not a not a fully fleshed out theory but i wonder what others think I think that's an interesting idea. Yeah, yeah, that that makes a lot more sense than my theory because maybe Kellis is actually in Shami uh, at the moment, and mm. maybe that's who they'll face. Yeah, that because that's where he was headed. Uh, I the I forgot his name again. Mathanet. Mm. Mathanet. Yes, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I wouldn't know. V- if he was Kellis, why did he end up here is a big question for me because when we met him, the only uh, thing he wanted to do was find his father who is in the city that this guy wants to wage war against. So, yeah, I, I like that theory more. I will replace my theory with yours, Mike. <laughs> oh, no, I, I liked yours too. I was I thought that was really intriguing. Um, I didn't think of that at all. So, yeah, mine was more. My, so both could maybe even happen. You, you don't know. But well, do we? I mean, I guess there's a year between the times. But do we know if Kellis can even do the magic? 
like he manipulates a dude, but I, I don't, my understanding was that wasn't really magical. Mm-hmm. Like he's doing some like extreme, again, like deductive reasoning, yeah. like psychological warfare on the guy. Like I, th- it's basically magic. Cause like, that's not, people can't function like that. But like, I think that, that at least how I read it was he wasn't actually like practicing sorcery in the way that like the other like Akamian does or mm-hmm. whoever in Rao with like the cants, as we mm-hmm. said, and that sort of thing. Um, did we see him? Like, genuinely, I'm not sure. Did he do magic? I don't think he, I, yeah, I think you're right. It's not magic per se. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it, you know, um, I went back to the prologue before this discussion and there is something in there about how they have, they, they isolate themselves uh, and they've spent all this time tuning, you know, their senses or, or what have you on. Um, I mean, I, I, I think about, I actually think about like, you know, Buddhism, um, you know, whether it's like mindfulness or whatever to the extreme and, 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 totally. and, and much more beyond that, probably um, when I, when I was reading that, um, but um, yeah, I don't think I, that's what I like. That's what intrigues me. I mean, I not that I not interested in, in, in the sorcery side of things, but um, yeah, that's just why the characters seem so different to me. Mm. Totally. Yeah. Have you seen Maitnet do magic? Uh, we've seen that he definitely can. Well, yeah, I guess you're right. We haven't necessarily seen so can do it, but we know that he, he theoretically can because yeah. he sees that's a yeah that's a good point. So we don't even know if he's maybe Kellis is yeah I don't know. So but, the the assassination of the first scribe, the red the red the spired scribe spire. What what is the name of that group who joined? Scarlet Spires. Mm-hmm. Scarlet Spires. Scarlet Spires. Yeah. So there. Um, head was assassinated 10 years ago and the the person got in where they weren't supposed to so i guess they have some rules about the magic that they believe but are being broken at the moment so only the few can see the few yes but maybe he i mean yeah that that's the default answer and makes the most sense but also is just something they believe. If the Great point. consult, for instance, can they see the few? Uh, but um, and the we know that they don't. Their magic doesn't work the same way because Enrao doesn't see them hmm. uh, when he's like that's he like freaks out. He's like, how are they? Uh, I forget what it is exactly that one of the bad guys does, but it's like clearly magical. And Enrao's like, that's mm-hmm. not. I can't see it. Why can't like what's going on here? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not supposed to be possible. And you're right. Like similarly, the the Fani sorcerers are immune and, and uh, don't, I guess, show up. Yeah, they don't. They can't. Don't see them. That's why they were able to assassinate the Scarlet Spires. Which who knows what's going on there, right? Like, why did the Fani, the Sea Sharum, like go in and assassinate the Scarlet Spires leader? Like, clearly, there's a whole story there. Yeah. I <laughs> know uh, that's that's an interesting point. You know, like again, like thematically, it's definitely uh, important that the stories they're told aren't necessarily the truth, mm. you know, and that the people convince themselves of things and um, having an, like an open mind and like a questioning mind is, is definitely something that this 
book is concerned with. And so I think that's a great point, Varsha. Mm-hmm. Um, what we're told about the magic may not necessarily be accurate. Mm-hmm. I also like Mike's theory, by the way, uh, going back to that of <laughs> Kelly's fighting alongside the um, Fanim. I, I do wonder about what is going on with, I mean, we're supposed to wonder what's going on with Moingus. Moingus. Mm-hmm. Um, for some reason, I just think of like Genghis Khan. I don't know if that's like an intentional, but like this, it just sounds in my head uh, like Genghis. Um, Moingus that he like, what's going on with him? Why did he finally reach out? Why did he tell them to send his son to him? Mm-hmm. And he did it through dreams. What's going on there? Mm-hmm. Like suddenly all of their priests suddenly like woke up and were like, holy crap, we got to send Kellis. Like they, there's a lot going on there. Yeah. And I, I, I'm very intrigued by it. There's the, man, the prologue. I mean, I'm going back to Steve. Like I can only imagine there's so much that happens where you're just like, what is, what is happening? Um, and to understand the full context, I can only imagine. And, and I, I will, I'll say, I, I think I re- mentioned, I read the prologue twice and what you just mentioned, Carl, I missed. So I didn't even, I, I missed <laughs> yeah. that he was, he was, uh, sent, um, in dreams, but as I mentioned, dreams come up a lot so far. Mm-hmm. That's, um, like, like it's happening quite a bit. I think we need, probably need to pay attention whenever somebody's dreaming, um, Absolutely. But what I was also wondering about the father is whether the father is part of the Sisharam or what have you, because, mm. or, or, or is he some kind of leader or what, what is he? Because, and why would somebody from the boy, Dunian, like, why would, why would he, why did he leave? Maybe maybe it's explained. I, I don't think so. But um, no, it's not. Yeah, yeah. I have a lot of questions. <laughs> no, it's all. He's a big mystery box mm-hmm. there, and I, I think, I mean, it, it just occurred to me. What if it wasn't even the father reaching out? Mm-hmm. I mean, do we even know the father's alive? The father could be dead, right? Like, who knows? Um, I mean, I, I, it, who knows, yeah. right? Like, it's all a big mystery there. Like, we have no idea what's going on. And like you said, Mike, we need to pay attention to the dreams, definitely, because it's weird. He reached out through dreams. Like, what's going on here? Uh, <laughs> especially because that doesn't seem to be their thing. Like, the Dunyan aren't, like, the way they live their life isn't, like, dream-based. Like, they don't have dream magic, like the mandate. Hmm. At least not that we really saw. Like, you know, who knows? But, um, and similarly, Moingus, he is one of them, so he probably can do all the crazy crap that, Kellis can, so who knows what he's influencing, you know? Uh, I'm very intrigued to see where that goes. And it's interesting that we veer so far away from Kellis. I assumed we would be following him from the get-go, mm. but it seems like Akamian is our main character, um, for now at least. It's, this is a maybe a dumb question, but is Akamian the, the title character for part one? He is the sorcerer. And then, mm-hmm. not to get ahead, but what's part two? Um, the emperor, right? Emperor. Oh, okay. interesting. I didn't even pay attention. Yeah, the emperor. Oh. Okay, so maybe we don't get back to... I, yeah, I I did... Yeah, I did. I, I mentioned earlier I, I did want to come back to Kellis, maybe, but maybe we don't for quite a while. And if not, that's okay. Um, 
I mean, I bet he's in this book, right? Like, I bet we'll see him again in this book. But who knows when? I mean, certainly, I expected him to be a major player in part one, but he seemingly wasn't, unless he's again, he's one of the main characters and just, you know, hasn't been revealed as Kellis yet. Yeah, exactly. All right. <laughs> look, at, look at Steve's smile. I wish I wish the audience could see the the like the look. Oh man, I, I gotta give you credit, Steve. You were you were good at like withholding. You know, it's not easy. Yeah. The best poker face. Mm-hmm. For real, it's fun hearing all the theories though, because that was me. That was me trying to guess what's gonna happen next. But yeah, it's fun. Nice. How does it feel to be on the other side, being in the know of all the things? <laughs> It's it's fun, but I wish I could also go back and not mm. know again, and just experience it again. So, but it's it's still fun to it, it's great to read with all of you because it's like it's like doing it again for the first time. So, it's cool. That's cool. Yeah. So, um, I guess do we have anything else that we like to discuss? Otherwise, that seems like a good place to wrap up. Um, let's do outros where people can find you find your books and your podcasts and um yeah we'll call it a night after that uh mike do you want to get us started oh sure um well uh i'm on the page tuning forum as mike m and i don't know if people would want to reach out to me but that's where you can find me nice uh, I guess I'll go again. Um, so you can find me on pagechewing.com or on iTunes or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Um, yeah. And also just want to mention before we wrap up that we are going to be reading Carl's book here in just a little bit. So we'll be doing the same thing for his book soon. So everybody- I'm going to be sitting in your, your seat. Uh, similarly, knowing oh, that's going to be interesting. Uh, I'm, I'm very excited and nervous and all the feelings. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, so I, uh, you can find my book, Truth of Crowns, uh, in print, wherever books are sold or an ebook on Amazon. Uh, you can find me on social media at Carl D. Albert, most places. In fact, I think that's my username pretty much everywhere. And on the page streaming forum, please join us. It's a wonderful community if you haven't already. I second that. Also, join us there if you'd like to read and discuss these books along with us or any of the, I don't know, three other read-alongs that we've got going on there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, and you can find me on my YouTube channel, Reading by the Rainy Mountain, and there's links to my podcast from the About page and other ways to reach me. Uh, Yeah, we'll see everyone in two weeks from now when we'll be discussing part two which is chapters yeah i should have done chapters instead of page numbers when we started (laughs) chapters five through eight um yeah see everyone in two weeks bye bye bye